Hello, I'm Maria. Welcome to Crossroads Podcast. Hi, I'm Melanie. Today, we will be talking with Nochmesa Cartelosi from the Dahlia Project. Nochmesa is a psychotherapist and she runs one-to-one um, counseling sessions and group sessions for FGM survivors. Hello, I'm Maria. I'm the co-president of the Intersectional Feminist Society at King's College London. Today we will be talking with the Dahlia Project, a unique specialist holistic service providing both psychological and physical support to survivors of FGM. The Dahlia Project is run by Manor Gardens Welfare Trust, a health and well-being charity based in North London founded in 1913 which provides tailored services around physical and mental well-being and promotes community cohesion. We will be talking with Nochmesa Cartalosi, Dahlia Group Psychotherapist since the start of the project and has helped develop and shape the service through her cross-cultural experience. I am here with Melanie, a KCL graduate who works as an advocate and researcher for women that have experienced domestic abuse. So I just wanted to ask, what led you to work for the Dahlia Project? So um, before working for Dahlia Project, I was working in a, at a women's therapy center, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, was a neighbor organization mm-hmm. uh, at Manor Garden. So my role at the women's therapy center, I was working as a community development psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I started in 2011, it was kind of a unique and innovative uh, role, which came out of research that Women's Therapy Centre did mm. uh, about uh, the fact that women from Black and ethnic minorities were not accessing mental health services. Mm. And the reason was because they really didn't know either existed, but they didn't know what what it was or how it helped them, or they kind of stayed because of their kind of cultural beliefs. So the idea of my role was to go out there in the community and find the women and talk about psychotherapy. So then they, I started off like going to talk, do information session, for example, for staff and volunteers, but also then to talk to women what psychotherapy was, how it helped, but more importantly, to give women that space, space yeah. that they could explore the, their fears about psychotherapy, what mm. it meant, especially around confidentiality, uh, and um, but also the idea of uh, seeking help for mental health because it was considered a mentally ill, it was not something that you would want to go and seek help for. So in, in many countries, including of my own, psychotherapy doesn't, doesn't exist. Uh, mm. So in many cultures, it doesn't exist at all. So usually they have, would have heard of psychiatrists, but if you were referred to a psychiatrist, that would mean you had a mental illness, and you wouldn't want to to do so they thought it was a kind of a similar thing so that's why they would stay so as you know psychotherapy is a western style treatment and uh, it can be quite challenging task to introduce 
to people whose cultures don't have a tradition of self-analysis of the, or are not familiar with process of uh, discussing these kind of issues and where therapy doesn't exist. But once they open up, they often experience a huge relief and it can be healing. Uh, perhaps for the first time, they can go with someone through darker and desperate roads with a therapy support to witness their struggle. So I did this, but as well as this, mm -hmm. I provided also psychoeducation groups where after this taster session, they would come and there would be like six sessions, women who mm -hmm. had experienced similar kind of things where we would get together and talk about the difficulties, but also they would learn about a lot about boundaries. They would learn about kind of talking about their emotions, but also processing and reflecting, but also uh, we helped with coping mechanism. So, um, so after these groups, women then would be referred for one-to-one -one therapy if they wanted to uh, explore further. Mm -hmm. um, so, because sometimes in the group, that's when they realize their past traumas the difficulties they were having, they were stemming from past trauma. So basically, it was a model that I kind of helped to develop in the community. It's a very successful mm. model. And it's really uh, that still to this day I, I work with. So as I mentioned, I was in a neighborhood with the same place at the Manor Garden when Dalia staff, we were in the same building. So I often passed and talked to the staff mm -hmm. and then uh, came availability for a therapist. They wanted to, to uh, employ a therapist to run therapeutic groups with women who have undergone FGM. So I got the job and uh, so I joined Dalia in 2000. 16, I think, um, and um, where I help them to, so I run the groups, but I also help them to develop therapeutic services for Dahlia. Nice, that's amazing. And do you do like both the one-to-one -one and group work then by the Within Dahlia um, project with women? Initially, we only started with the groups, the therapeutic yeah. groups. So and then if like uh, women wanted further therapy, then I would refer them somewhere else because we didn't mm -hmm. provide one-to-one. -one. Uh, but uh, now I have fully moved on because unfortunately, it's really sadly, Women's Therapy Centre closed after 42 mm -hmm. years uh, yeah. due to funding. And so then Manor Garden kind of adopted me fully. So I have developed all the whole a range of therapeutic services so that women now can access one-to-one -one in house at Manor Gardens. But before when we first started it was we would refer them somewhere else for one-to-one. -one. I see, yeah. And what have been some of the key challenges and highlights would you say of the work you're doing at the moment? Uh, so basically most of the women I work with uh, they have a combined uh, trauma, so which mm -hmm. are kind of uh, historical, but also current trauma yeah. uh, of sometimes being an asylum seeker in UK or a QT. Mm -hmm. 
so prior to starting the group, we often we assess women, and um, so the woman consists of six to eight. And once we have a group, we offer 12 weeks session. So at the beginning of the group, women discuss all sorts of issues, starting from their life in UK, uh, or racism, London transport, uh, NHS services, news, current news, childbirth, periods, uh, and their relationship with members family members but also outsiders so most of the groups are really powerful as they have a mixture mm. of strong emotions and feelings so shame and trust is often talked yeah. about uh, so at the beginning of the group there's a great there's a kind of great reluctance to engage or talk of what has happened because it is so shameful um, but once the trust has been established, there's a huge unburdening as they start to be able to talk. So things they disclose are truly terrible. Uh, mm. The systematic horror created by people who have deceived them and exploited their vulnerabilities. Mm. Um, so for these women, the aim of the therapy is that they have a chance to rebuild their lives and able to start living their own life. Uh, and I believe that the process of having therapy helps them to do this. Yeah. So for example, uh, one woman, she told me that she was coming to the group. She told me like, uh, when she goes around her daily life, she feels that everybody knows that she's got mm -hmm. MGM and how shameful she feels, but in how difficult it's for her but she has to kind of completely close that off and it's almost like she's putting a mask and smile but mm -hmm. she says that they, when coming to the group it's the only place I can just be myself because I don't have mm -hmm. to pretend I don't have to uh, to be anybody I'm not and I can talk actually to something it's so yeah. kind of uh, difficult yeah so women are often very angry which is not often recognized or linked uh, that is because of what has happened one woman for example um, said that all her sisters were done fgm they, it was done to them when they were older but to her it was done much younger because for example she she was very uh, a tomboy uh, she was young about five six she was a tomboy she was playing outside she loved sports so she played with boys uh, mm. outside a lot so the mother even her father was not really keen on doing fgm at that young age she, they, he didn't believe in that the mum was really worried that she was becoming promiscuous Right. and was not happy for her to play with boys so mm. they decided for her to for her to have FGM at his young age and she was so angry because she kind of destroyed all her wishes and 
what she wanted. She wanted to play outside because after that, she said, not that she never played any sport, but she never really went outside to play. And she wanted to be an athlete. And she was very angry because she, that was taken away from her very, very young age. Um, so anger is, is, is a huge uh, kind of part of them being able to kind of express. Um, so um, also a woman who whose uh, twin sister died beside her by the boat, uh, had FGM and died beside her because she fled to death but she couldn't help her because she was tired. And all her life, she's never forgotten that. And it affects her every day. She was having nightmares. And she, she said uh, at one point, I can forgive anything, but I will never forgive that uh, ever. Because it, it just affected her in such a profound way. Yeah. that she couldn't really live normally mm. so and then it was somebody else who mum said that I'm gonna on her birthday I'm gonna take you shopping for birthday but in fact it was uh, to perform FTM and uh, she said what a birthday present I was um, and so allowing them to talk about this and holding this group can be very challenging uh, yeah. and sometimes that's the only thing I can do is hold it and be there to witness this with yeah. them. Uh, the enormity of the issue is so high sometimes it feels like you are on a Titanic because any mm. moment could um, so although women report that the group gives them the, them a space to talk without worrying about any consequences, um, but most of all, it helps them to know that there are other women struggling with the same issues, sharing and supporting yeah. uh, each other is very helpful. So throughout my work, uh, working with women who had undergone FGM, I realized that they never talk about, they never talked about, about it with anyone. Um, like one woman said, uh, there were five sisters, none of them ever spoke to each other about mm. it. It was never mentioned. It was just something you just never mentioned. And even though they all suffered basically in silence with painful mm. periods, recurrent actions, difficulty passing urine. Yeah. Uh, one woman once said that how she, every time she had a period, she ended up in a &E because of the mm. pain that she was experiencing. So in terms of positive impact, this woman have never experienced uh, care and respect they deserve. So I feel the group gives them that space where they feel respected and valued. One woman said how she feels violent in the group, and she said, I like it when you you talk, when I talk, you, you look at me in the eye mm. uh, and you listen, because oh, often they, 
they do have this when they mention people freak out they don't like when they have to yeah. for example as the gp so you look at me in the eye and you listen and um so the women are able to explore how they think and feel about themselves and how it affects their life and relationship so we were able to work and how to recognize their strengths, their resources, and build their self-esteem. Mm. Um, so sharing their experiences on equal mutual basis helps them better to kind of manage their well-being. And despite uh, what these women have experienced in terms of emotional, psychological, and physical abuse, they are extremely resilient and positive yeah. and dignified mm. yeah i mean even some of the quotes you mentioned just shows the amazing kind of work that those that amazing impact those groups can have for for women exactly we also exactly. um yeah we're wondering uh, how like the advocate like how it looks like the advocacy when supporting survivors looks like and uh, so if you could tell us a bit about it just so our listeners can understand a bit more about what happens when someone comes to a service uh, for for support? Oh, yes, so uh, during these groups, women are fully, fully supporting it in any other way uh, because we find that the women, as well as having FGM, they're often in very difficult yeah. life situations. Sometimes they're asylum seekers waiting yeah. for years for their cases to be resolved. Uh, or they are single mothers, or they have experienced domestic violence. So their circumstances can be very difficult, and they're often living in really dire conditions. So the specialist advocate at Dahlia is able to offer them advocacy and helping them mm. with practical difficulties like housing, education, health, but also accompany them to services uh, various places and advocate on their behalf uh, mm. in any matter. And, yeah. Mm. So then we also refer them to other organizations which are relevant for their specific, yeah. uh, like mm. if they're uh, going through domestic violence, then we would refer and get specific help uh, for that. Yeah. So overall, Dadia offers a holistic approach mm, so yeah. to their well-being including practical support therapeutic but also empowerment sometimes mm. when we get referrals women are not ready to start therapeutic support uh, so prior to this work is, is a lot of work is done to help them deal with because kind of if you're living in difficult chaotic circumstances and you don't know when is your next meal going to come or when you can't you don't have any money to go to a hospital or whatever mm. then you're not going to be wanting to work to do therapeutic work because you know there's more important things so yeah. sometimes when they Definitely. first refer we work a lot into uh, trying to to get them to a place where they feel more safe and secure in order to, to work. And start other. on those like therapeutic things. Exactly. Yeah, it's harder to do it if you're still in a certain situation that maybe might be unsafe or that sort of thing. So I guess that's, yeah, but it starts and then 
the therapeutic services can be really beneficial after that. Um, yeah. Um, so what kind of impact have you seen your advocacy work? And I know you've touched a bit on the therapeutic services hub, but yeah, just wondered if you could expand on that a little bit more um, and why it's important to have both the one-to-ones but also the support groups. So as I was saying kind of earlier, we really truly believe in providing the holistic support because as I said, if, if you women can't, there's, is not able to uh, kind of, if they were, for example, straight into therapeutic work, then they would talk about, like, I don't have any money to, to go mm-hmm. to hospital. I don't know when I'm going to eat or uh, yeah. I only got vouchers. I don't have any money to buy anything. So I think that has a huge impact on women because, again, that somebody is trying to really help make their life uh, better and the circumstances better so that's just hugely uh, appreciated and really uh, needed um, and so then once they feel that oh, okay so they truly understand that they want to help me uh, fix all these uh, problems that I have currently uh, but also helped me with my psychological, emotional health, but also physical health. And because sometimes, as you know, we, we talk a little bit later about the SEM clinics, for example, um, because sometimes they have um, physical problem uh, that's related to FGM, for example. Mm. So then they refer to the clinic for the physical checkup and treatment, and then they can join therapy. Or sometimes they want therapy first because they're so traumatized, Mm -hmm. they need to work through that. So it depends. So basically it's a very individual. Yes, exactly. It depends on the individual and their circumstances. Okay, so it's, you know, it is important to have the group for all the reasons I mentioned before. So they, yeah. they, they are, that one that you, they, they just don't talk to anybody. So mm, uh, sometimes, yeah. for example, sometimes in the group, when a woman shares their story about FGM and she starts to cry, they all start to cry because they know mm. what's that like. But also when they cry together, they grieve together. And that's so important yeah. to have everybody together to kind of go through that something so um, huge in their lives. Um, mm. So, for example, women who have done some work in the group are in better position to work in to, to kind of talk about their life experience because sometimes during the groups they disclose other traumatic uh, events that they happened in their lives so they may want to continue and then they are referred for one-to-one so sometimes it's domestic violence or sexual abuse or childhood Mm -hmm. abuse you know other kind of traumatic events so then through by doing the group it's already given them that safe space but they want to further continue so that's why they're both important or sometimes Rarely, there is women who want to have one-to-one immediately because 
it is so difficult for them to face the group so they go through one-to-one yeah. -one and then they join the group can, so yeah yeah, yeah. so it's the, it depends on the individual exactly and what their, exactly. Their needs are. Are. yeah yeah but exactly. having those um group uh like having more of a community approach as well can break through the isolation so i i guess having both can be very beneficial to the survivor the herself yeah yeah and uh, i was gonna ask about the role of um ask you about the role of fgm clinics and how they help survivors yes. more specifically in london yes so uh, women who kind of have undergone fgm often find that when they access regular nhs uh, yeah. services for example, for smear tests or for painful periods or for other difficulties related to FGM, they often encounter staff who are not really familiar and yeah. are inexperienced with their specific needs. And this causes them additional anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so to the point where sometimes they just not go, they don't seek any mm -hmm. help because it's just too much. Yeah. Uh, so, so Dahlia project is working with NHS yeah. England in two of the so FGM uh, outside of London as well, not just in London, yeah. but outside of London. Yes. All so yes, but yes, we work with the two in London, one in Brent and one in Wolfham Forest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, and we provide the counseling there, I see. but the FGM clinics are designed to provide a holistic service again, which is yeah. based on the community. Yeah. It's a kind of a one-stop shop. So yeah. all the staff there from the consultant, midwife, advocate, and the counselor, they're all mm -hmm. FGM specialists. So when women go there, they don't have to add that anxiety about worrying about trying to explain what is FGM or try to anything. They can just go directly where people yeah. are all trained and the clinic is on its own. There's no other people. Uh, so that is hugely important and really, mm. really helpful. No and yeah, so I've seen that um, Dali Project has developed like community workshops with specialist midwives. Uh -huh and um, delivering workshops on like women's health, FGM and well-being for communities. Um, I was just wondering if you could explain like um, the ways these workshops are developed and like their aims mm. um, and why do you think they're so important as well? Of course. Um, well, since COVID, there, there hasn't been an opportunity for doing a, um, as you can imagine, doing lots of outreach in the community because, but yeah. because the project is quite well known, women are usually referred to us by a community organization or self referrals. But mm -hmm. in the past, as you say, we have offered, and there is something we will now. Uh, depending on funding we will want to offer again mm. so um so in the past when funding was available about nearly 10 years ago the project recruited volunteers from mm. fgm communities and trained them 
and then they contacted women in the communities and organized workshops, which were largely done in women's homes. Uh, so then Dalia would Dalia project would pay for a meal to be prepared and by someone in the community. And then the childcare was provided often in the same house in a separate room or somewhere nearby. So the yeah. woman would have a, a space. Mm. And then all workshops kind of started talking about general health issues and then linking them to kind of consequences, both physical and psychological of FGM. Mm. So it was kind of a safe way to start talking about FGM. Mm. Uh, which, as we know, it was something it was never spoken about, and it was a taboo. Yeah. So yeah, after this, sounds... sorry, sorry yeah, no, I was just gonna say that sounds great, like to have it run like that. Actually, with yeah. yes. I think that's a really nice way of also having a community way of doing it, and it's also like people speaking to other people in the community that they know. So it's yeah, kind of learning off each other, and I think that sounds like a really nice way of um, doing it. I think yeah. Exactly, and I think that's kind of the Dahlia's kind of approach in general. Dahlia approach mm. is starting from from the workshops and yeah. therapy. I think our aim is to be flexible, mm. but kind of safely uh, flexible, adaptable. So, like with therapy, is not like. Uh, did have to do it all by the book. It was have to yeah. take into account all the kind of elements to make it work and to make it, but yeah. it was still in a safe environment, mm -hmm. safe uh, space, but with flexibility. Yeah. And it was the same with these workshops. Um, so then after these workshops were developed, we developed advocacy referral to FGM midwife and then further workshops, sometimes with the FGM midwife coming along to them. Um, so then uh, FGM advocates was also supported by quarterly supervision in order to, because, you know, sometimes it's a really difficult, sometimes you're having to hear uh, so many uh, difficult stories mm. so then to making sure that the um, advocates were uh, supported as well yeah yeah that's really interesting and, too, yeah. yeah so then for women who ran this workshop it was so empowering they felt empowered because they mm. they were kind of doing the work and helping yeah. this such a taboo thing in the community come out, but also get the support and help for the women. So then they they also uh, recruited case workers who then recruited FGM community champions from practicing communities who then were trained to support working, uh, women in their community. We also recruited small uh, number of males because that was the idea to also involve uh, male uh, men into the um, 
yeah. groups, but unfortunately the intake was very small and we couldn't run separate groups. So then it has to be women only, yeah. which is unfortunate, but there's something uh, for the future yeah, that we were thinking of uh, doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. we wanted as well to explore how like the impact that post-therapy empowerment sessions have and how what are their importance and how does this promote women's agency? Mm. So when I started running the groups, the therapeutic groups, uh, the women were very keen to stay in touch with each other and once the sessions were finished. And at that time, they, they set up a WhatsApp group and so that they continue to support each other. And so as a result of this, we developed the empowerment group. So once the women finished therapy, we like once a month, whoever wanted to, they would come to the empowerment uh, group. So the empowerment group was uh, run by the advocates. So in this empowerment group, we would ask the woman, what would they like to do? Uh, so they would come up with an idea. And if it was possible, then we would make it uh, possible. Like they wanted to maybe just go out for a meal uh, yeah. and then they they would go for a meal all together or they wanted to have a art class or beauty treatments uh, or maybe a trip to museum because sometimes they just never really went out because they, mm. they didn't really have uh, any money a, a lot of them so then they would do fun things together uh, and um, kind of uh, this was obviously pre-covid and um, so overall, the effect of the groups, the therapy and other activities kind of can help transform the women's sense of themselves so they don't mm. feel isolated and feel and guilty, yeah. but instead feel that they have some ability to change the situation. So it kind of can give them a renewed hope, yes. uh, a feeling yeah. that they have being offered something new with a lasting value. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's amazing. Um, so yeah, during COVID, we, we've done online sessions. Uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so we've done basically exactly the same thing. Uh, I provided the therapy online, which is mm -hmm. also interesting because I had women from all over the UK join, yeah. like Manchester or yeah. Bristol, and yeah. so we could reach yeah. more. I women. guess it has different yeah. kind of pros and cons, doesn't it? And like, some I know, I know, it's interesting. Yeah, but it's nice that as well, more women were actually able across the UK to engage because I guess in some places where it may be you may have less women that have experienced FGM they might be even more kind of isolated in a, in a way because there's less probably like big community like groups and that sort of thing exactly, um, exactly. and in London yeah. um, just because it's they might be the population might just be much smaller yeah. where they're living um, so yeah it's great that they can join yeah. from wherever um yeah exactly obviously uh, an assessment was done because obviously there's safeguarding issues because like when you're in london it's easier yeah. if yeah. there's a safeguarding issue so you just have yeah. to make sure yeah. yeah so yeah so basically 
we then also provided the advocacy, uh, mm. even through the phone, if they had issues, we we helped with like vouchers because quite a lot of them either didn't mm. have devices or didn't have money for to join in the sessions, uh, like for um, phone vouchers, um, mm. and also the empowerment uh, sessions yeah. they happened, yeah. so they met online instead of. Um, it's not the same, but it was just what we could offer during this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit about how, um, like the work Dahlia Project does in terms of influencing policy and practice, or do you know where people can find out more about that? Yes. So, if you want to find out a bit more, uh, because as I said at the moment, uh because of COVID, things have completely changed, but also because of funding, we are not really able to offer as much as we used to, but it's something that we were, we are hoping to expand and do more, like the workshops and the, the clinics yeah. and so on, and also the empowerment group in person, that's kind of currently been happening, but if you want to uh, find out more about resources, uh, we have the handbook, uh, which was developed in 2019 about uh, therapists working with women who have undergone mm. a They can all be found at the Dahlia's website. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. And just as a conclusion, we we were we wanted to ask what intersectionality means to you and the work you you do. Okay. So I have a lot of experience of doing therapeutic work across boundaries uh, of ethnicity, gender and disadvantage. So my therapeutic approach is intersectional because it recognizes yeah. that there are many different overlapping ways mm -hmm. in which women can be prevented from accessing yeah. therapy, ranging from cultural issues to ethnicity, yeah. to asylum mm -hmm. status, deprivation. Yes. Exact class. Um, yes. So, when working with women who have undergone FGM, for example, it is really important to have this uh, intersectional approach. Approach, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, that's we. Yeah, we. It's super interesting to see how in intersectionality is applied um, differently. Uh, in different disciplines and how each professional yes. specialist can yeah. sh shape what intersectionality means to them and to the work they do and apply um, apply it, apply it to, to, yeah. Yeah, to the work. Yeah, yeah. To the work, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like uh, from the beginning, there was kind of my aim from when I first started working, I mean, trained yes. therapist mm -hmm. and then uh, gone into the community and that was always my kind of passion to take into account everything yeah. not just like yes. a, what is mm. being presented exactly mm. not one single way of approaching um things there's not one single line to follow yes yeah. exactly there's so many exactly. things to take into consideration and i guess mm. especially, especially in therapy there's so many different factors that are influencing and affecting women differently and mm -hmm. this all these are important to consider in order to deliver better help and uh, better understandings as well 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I kind of when women come into the group, uh, it's just kind of things that they they come. It's not just FGM. It, it's just so many yeah, other things. So many, uh, things as well. yeah. so many different things. You you can't ignore and say yes. No, I'm gonna. No, just gonna uh, focus on this one thing because everything no, impacts on no. each other. and that's why. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why the groups are so successful because, you know, it's a space for them to talk about all the things yeah. and sometimes they're interlinked yeah. And yeah. to what they're uh, dealing with. So yeah. it is really yeah. hugely important to yeah. work Thank this you, way. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so for, much. That was super Yeah, that was super interesting. Thank you so much. We appreciate Do you it think? Time. I hope so. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was yeah. interesting. Thank yeah, you thank so, you. so much. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And yeah, no, thank you so much. It was, um, yeah, super interesting. And it was good to get like a real insight into what the therapeutic sessions are like as well. Um, from someone that runs them. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Them and like, has been doing it for so long so yeah thank you so much for that thank, thank you, you so, so much. much i hope you, you have a wonderful day and it's been a pleasure to have had you here today. thank you thank you, you too really nice to meet you and nice to meet you. thank you <laughs> bye, bye. 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 Thank you to Nojmesa for making this episode possible and also to our listeners. If you want to donate and continue um, helping us out with the podcast, you'll have some links below as well as resources if you want to continue your research into the topic. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so and much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Mm.